Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, September 17th, 2023, called Through the Eyes of Matthew, Debts Forgiven, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Well, God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And there's an outline. If you want to jot any notes, we'll, of course, project it up here. We'd been doing a number of them to introduce the annual theme for us of come and see the works of the Lord. And so we use those phrases, whether it was at Jesus' own tomb or the the rising of Lazarus or the Samaritan woman at the well. We looked at those phrases of come and see what God has done. Come and see the wonderful works of God. This one, so in our faith tradition, we have, um, we actually kind of assign scripture readings for certain days because what that causes us to do is make sure we're working through the Bible because it's real easy for pastors or preachers just to do their favorites all the time. And so uh, this causes us to look at certain scriptures that we might not normally do. So this is from Matthew, the next about five weeks all those assigned gospel readings in Matthew. And I thought to myself, how cool would this be to look at the ministry of Jesus through the eyes of a tax collector, through the eyes of of somebody who knows all about debt and is not into debt forgiveness. Um, So I want to give you a little bit of background on that. He's essentially an accountant is what he is. He keeps balance sheets and spreadsheets. So, I found some really dumb jokes about accountants. Here, you have to hear this. These are for you, Dave. Welcome to the accounting department where everybody counts. This isn't going to go well. Why are accountants so cool? Shut up. Why are accountants so cool, calm, and collected? They have strong internal controls. That's funny. How many accountants does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many did it take last year? Ha <laughs> ha, that's funny too. What do you call an accountant without a spreadsheet? Lost. Children may ta- be tax deductible, but they're still taxing. Yeah. If an accountant's wife can't sleep, all she has to say is, honey, tell me about your day at work. <laughs> a woman went to the doctor who told her she only had six months to live. Oh my, said the woman, what do I do? Marry an accountant, said the doctor. Why? Will that make me live longer? No, but it'll seem longer. You've never heard these, have you? Yeah, right. What's the definition of an accountant? Someone who solves a problem you didn't know you had in a way you don't understand. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Okay, I just thought those were fun. Um, Matthew literally is, I mean, and the the reason we joke about that is we're keeping our accounts and the balance sheet needs to add up and it can't be in the red and we need to know what's owed and where you're going to get it and how you're going to do it and how you're going to pay that back. So I want to give you just a little bit of information here on, on Matthew, um, who in Latin is called a publicanus, a publican. In the King James Version, the tax collectors are often called publicans. And so they compare the Pharisee and the publican. That's one of the parables that Jesus tells. They compare. So he's a publican. He's a public servant. He's hired by the Romans. And there was no one more hated in all of Israel than these guys. I talked to you about the Samaritans, 
the Samaritans, right? When Jesus went through Samaria and the Jews and the Samaritans, there was a huge amount of racism between the two of them and hatred. It was nothing compared to the hatred they had for the tax collectors because the tax collectors were sellouts to Rome. They worked for the Roman Empire and they collected all those. Oh, sorry, Dana, for those jokes. Yeah, okay. Any other accountants here I probably offended? No, anyway. Um, so the, uh, but there was no one they hated more because they were, they were traitors. They were traitors. They collected taxes. Here's how it worked. The Roman government, I mean, to be honest, much of why they expanded their empire was to expand their economic reach, to tax, to, uh, to make slaves, to increase the wealth of Rome itself and Italy, that, that area, have it grow and be... That was why they were constantly land hungry and people hungry. And the rule in Rome was you had to keep the peace. This is why Jesus gets crucified, to be honest. It's this desperate measure of trying to keep the peace among the people. That was the one rule that Rome gave to all its governors, all of its people. Keep the peace, keep the money flowing. It actually sounds fairly okay, like today. I mean, it sounds like we can relate to that. Keep the peace, keep the economy running, and make that work. And so they hired, I don't know if you know this story, in World War II, many, many of the, the guards who actually abused and beat, like the, the Jews who were in concentration camps or gypsies or um, homosexual, you know, they were all imprisoned, all executed, this whole group of under clan. World War II it was a horrible, horrible act they took people from those groups and they, and they would do it because they would get better food and they, had, they said, well, you won't die. We won't kill you. Well, they did. And they were hated, just despised, right? Because it was one Jew beating another. They hated the tax collectors. I'm telling you, this journey that Matthew makes to be in the group with Jesus... So, are you fans of The Chosen? I am. I'm a fan of The Chosen. If you haven't watched it on angel.com, you can watch all these episodes for free. It's not going to be till next year, till they come out with the fourth season. But they do a fine job. But I always tell people, please allow The Chosen, what you watch, to take you to the scriptures that it's referencing and read it in the scriptures. What we want to do is make sure that people don't think The Chosen is the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. And The Chosen is a wonderful, I think it's well done. I really like it. They do a thing with Matthew, though. Have some of you watched this show? So the way they portray Matthew, and they, and they do so much accurate stuff. They do a great job. Jesus calls Matthew out of his tax collecting booth. And, you know, he's got, a, he's got Roman guards protecting him and stuff. I mean, he's the richest guy in Capernaum, maybe in the whole region. I mean, he is... Wealthy, because how it worked was you had to collect an amount per person, right? So they just calculated the population. That's why you did a census and stuff like that. Here's how much we need to get out of that region, out of that. Out of the Galilee, we need to get X number of, you know, money. And, uh, but the, the tax collectors could charge anything above that that they wanted. And so they became exceedingly wealthy. And they kept a strict, strict accounting of people's debts and what they owed. A strict accounting. 
and people were executed, imprisoned, and so forth. The story that Jesus tells here is accurate, is accurate. People would be imprisoned, thrown in jail, executed because of debt. That persists even in Western culture. You know, debtors' prison in England and so forth. I mean, a lot of those things had to be outlawed. Um, The conditions were horrible. And so Matthew is a fascinating story to me. So in The Chosen, they do an interesting thing with Matthew. They essentially make him autistic. They put him on the spectrum somewhere, probably like Asperger's. He's sharp, super sharp, very skilled. He's really focused. He's a whiz with numbers. But socially and emotionally, he is quirky, right? Really quirky. And so it makes him not only, they don't like him because he's a tax collector, but they also don't like him because he's weird, okay, (laughs) kind of thing. And, you know, as I watch that, them play it that way, because we don't know that. That's not in the Bible at all. We don't have any hint of that in the Bible. That's how they were pondering it and say, let's portray it this way. I would not have done that. I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. So I don't want emails about, oh, you don't like the chosen, blah, blah, blah. I do. But if I had written this based on what I see in Scripture, I would have written, because the way they portray him as autistic, it's like, well, he didn't know any better. He was Asperger's or whatever. He just saw, he didn't get the social and emotional, you know, and relational things that, how that would impact his family and this and that didn't matter to him. I would have played it this way. He knew full well what he was doing. And he said, the Romans are in charge. I'm hitching my wagon to the winner. I'm going to hook my wagon to them. I have this skill. I have this ability. I'm going to take advantage of it. And all these other suckers are going to get beat up and taxed to death, and they're, going to be, they're on the losing end of history. I'm going with these guys. Let me tell you why I do that. Because that journey back to Jesus is miraculous. A willful, I know full well what I'm doing. I am rejecting the faith of my family. I am rejecting the social, cultural norms of my day. And I am hitching my wagon to this powerful empire. And I don't care. And here comes Jesus, who says, follow me. Walk away and follow me. And he does. And he does. I am not kidding. Out of all the disciples, this guy, it's the hardest. It has to be. I mean, we don't, I don't, I, I believe that. Out of what we know from the disciples. The other Jewish guys that are there, they're pretty devout. I mean, Matthew was not allowed to go into the synagogue or the temple. He was ceremonially unclean 100% of the time. Handling all his foreign money, dealing with Gentiles, collaborating with the Romans. He was... Persona non gratis everywhere he went. They would spit at him and throw horrible things at him. They ignored him. He was ostracized completely. And so this journey that he ends up with Jesus and records this parable, this is a treasure, my friends. It's a treasure. Because his journey was farther than most of ours. So he knows the real meaning of what it means to be in debt. Did you know, you know how much the United States is in debt right now? $32 trillion. I have no grasp of that. It means $101,000 for every, is it every household? Every person. Wow. That's insane. 
You know what's a problem with when we have debt in ours? We think it'll just disappear magically. Someone will just print more money. Which actually adds to the debt, by the way. Oh, never mind. We struggle with this idea. We think debt should just go away magically. You know what the miracle of forgiveness is? We don't get this word right. We use forgiveness, and often we usually mean being nice. Oh, I was late to the meeting. Oh, I forgive you. Oh, I forgot to take out the trash. Oh, I forgive you. Oh, I said I would clean the bathroom, but I didn't. Oh, it's okay. I forgive you. Well, here's the thing. But if somebody runs into your car and causes $20,000 worth of damage, and you say you forgive them, you pay. That's what forgiveness means. The person who says, I forgive, I assume that payment. That's why Jesus act, when Jesus talks about the act of forgiveness, it's a thing. It's hard for us to grasp. And so he puts it in these ideas. So for Matthew, this idea of, of debt forgiveness rocks his world. It does not balance. It, it is not right. Somebody has to pay. That's the way of the world. So what I think he did was, I think he, he did his own balance sheet. And he reckoned that family and faith did not equal the balance he would get from the wealth and the power and authority he would get from the Romans. And so when Jesus comes along and says, you got it backwards, why does he respond this way? So I got, I got four things I want to share with you here. Here's the first one. Because I don't know, if you're sitting there, this would be the question I'd pose. How's your balance sheet? How's your spiritual balance sheet? And I can give you some theological answers. Let's talk about it practically here a little bit. Based on this parable. So here's the parable, right? And it's so great. It's so great. So just before this, in Matthew 18, it's so cool. It's just a few verses. It tells you how to resolve conflict. By the way, Christians, if you're a follower of Christ and you love the authority of the Bible and the promises and you're in conflict, go to Matthew 18. Here's how it's supposed to go. When you have a conflict with your brother, if you sin against your brother or your brother sins against you, Jesus says this. He says, go and talk to him one-on-one. Tell him what's up. See if you can figure it out. Don't go to the parking lot and talk about it. Don't post on Facebook about him. Don't text somebody about it. Don't triangulate with two other people to see if you can get other people on your side. Go to them. And if that doesn't work out, then you go with a few people and you keep talking it out so you can try to heal. Jesus gets brilliant. Duh. This one follows that. So Peter, good old Peter, how many times should I forgive, Lord? Now here's the thing. In the Old Testament, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, right? You punch me in the face, I punch you in the face, right? You take out my eye with a spear, I get to take your eye out with a spear. That's the deal. So it's like a one-for-one kind of thing. Well, the rabbis started to say, we should be more gracious than that. You can forgive somebody three times, and after that, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So that was the rabbis in that era. So Peter is, Peter is awesome, right? Peter comes up. Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven? What a good boy am I, right? That's what he's saying. 
a star pupil, head of the class. And Jesus says, you don't get it, Peter. Seventy times seven. In fact, what he's saying is so many times you cannot begin to keep track. In other words, this is point number one. This is a law point, everyone. Stop keeping score. That's what that is. Peter's keeping score. I, I forgave him one, two, three, seven times. Pff, no more. Done with you. How about it, people? If God was done with you at seven, how you doing? You good? Yeah, that was like last week for me. I, I am a competitive person. People that play softball with me know that. And it's funny, I tell people here in Pocatello, I said, I, and I will say, I am much less competitive than I used to be. And they kind of laugh <laughs> and mock me. Um, but it's true, which means that tells you how bad it was back in the day. Um, Clark Reynolds, and I'm, he, I mentioned his name because he moved back to Maine. And uh, Clark and I played softball for years and years together here. And he would say this to me. He'd go, I like you much better as my pastor than as my coach. <laughs> anyway. Here's the thing. The older I get, in all seriousness, the less competitive I get. I've had chances to win. I've had chances to have success. I've, 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 I've seen and been in situations where that's how you measure success, is by keeping score. I'm now at a point where, man, I'd like to see other people win. I've, I've, had, I've had the joy and the experience of winning. I love it when other people win. That's pretty cool. I'm excited for what God's going to get to do with Chris at Trinity Lutheran Church in Paso Robles. I am really excited for them. I'm excited for Chris. He's going to learn a lot. There's going to be times he's going to say, why didn't they ever tell me this? And, uh, and I'll say, if you'd stayed a year longer. No. <laughs> no, it'll be great. But we keep score. And so that's my question for you. If you're looking at point number one, do, do we have a faith that keeps score? And, and, and the funny thing is, I don't... I don't um, I, if we're keeping score, then at the end, I want to have more than you. That's the truth. So if we're playing a softball game, I'd like to have more runs than you at the end. If I'm playing golf, I'd rather have fewer strokes than you at the end, if we're keeping score. If we're not keeping score, no sweat. I'll do anything. I don't care. It's no big deal. I don't keep score. I have so much more fun when I'm not keeping score. I have far greater joy today when I'm not keeping score. Now, when I was in my 20s, I would have mocked you and said, no way, the only thing that makes it fun is winning. You'll get there someday. Someday that's not the point. Here's my point. Jesus is reminding us we don't keep score because he's already scored it all. All the points have been made. What if you have already won? What if all of the, the whole tally is already on your side? It can change completely how you, you give the other team more at-bats. You get, let, give them more strikes. 
You uh, let your, if a person drops a fly ball, you stop and you go out and you show them how to catch a fly ball. If they don't run the bases right, you teach them how to do it. And you're having fun because the points have already been won. There's no score being kept. In our spiritual life, too often, we keep score. And too often, we keep score on somebody else. This is the second thing, and I'm going to tie it to this. So, um, so I, um, I, it took us, Teresa and me, into our 60s before we paid off a mortgage. That was cool. We built our house, sold the other house, built the other house. I was cheap, scrimped and saved. I uh, got stuff that fell off the back of a truck. Legally. <laughs> um, and we were, able to, we were able to do it, no mortgage. You know what? It didn't feel as big a deal to me as I thought it would. Here's why. I never worried about that debt. We were able to pay it. I never worried about it. Here's the challenge, point number two. So the first law point is, is where Jesus is saying, stop keeping score, Peter. You're keeping score. Stop keeping score on yourself or on someone else. And Matthew's here in this. And Matthew's whole life is keeping score as a tax collector. The second thing corrective that Jesus wants to make is, is to say this. How great is your debt, Peter? How big is your debt? There's a great story in, um, in Scripture of a woman who comes in, and I'll probably conflate these two together. Jesus is at the home of a, of a well-known religious man, and she comes in and she's just weeping. She makes a beeline to Jesus. She weeps. She washes Jesus' feet with her hair. She's just overcome with emotion. Luke 7. And the Pharisee who's there, the, the host, he's like disgusted because she's a real sinful woman in town. We could imagine prostitute or something like that. And um, he's, in his mind, he goes, Ugh. How can he let her touch him? She's disgusting. Doesn't he know? And uh, Jesus says to him, Simon, when I came in here, you didn't give me a kiss to greet me or a bowl of water to wash my feet. But this woman, who is a great sinner, and he said that, her sins are many. She hasn't stopped weeping on my feet, kissing my feet since she came in. And essentially, he says to her, Simon, you must think you are forgiven very little because you love very little. But she's been forgiven a whole bunch. And so she loves a whole bunch. I mean, this is the challenge. The second thing that Jesus is trying to teach in this parable is how big is your debt? Because we make one mistake or the other. We either minimize our debt, because again, we keep score. I'm not as bad as that schlub over there. I'm doing better than them. Or we magnify our debt. If you knew everything about my past, like I'll be out golfing, I'll always ask a guy, the guys I'm with, hey, you should come hear me preach. See if I put you to sleep. If I put you to sleep, that's on me. You should come and check it out. And they all go like, they go, oh, the lightning will strike the building. The building will fall down in an earthquake if I ever walk inside it. I said, I'll take that bet. Here, I got 20. Come on in. Let's see if it works out that way. And, uh, 
And it's interesting because I, on the other hand, guys sometimes will be straight with me and say, if you knew my past, you would know that God could never forgive me. And I get a chance to say to them, that is a lie. Someone has lied to you and you bought it. Because look at the story Jesus tells. Guy comes in, 10,000 talents. The estimates of what that is, is a low of $250 million to one estimate I saw was $3.5 billion. In other words, Jesus tells it, and what do you think his audience does? His audience goes, holy cow. Who can pay that back? And then did you hear the dude? He's up there and says, oh, just give me some time. I'll pay it all back. Are you kidding? Who, who do you think you are? He's a servant. In the master's household. But you know, there are people who think that. They either think, my debt's really not as bad as all that. I just need one score. I just need one thing to fall right. I just need to win the lottery. I just need to, whatever, right? It's not, not that big a deal. Or on the other hand, it is so overwhelming that the king, he had no hope of the king's forgiveness. And wonder of wonders... Because absolutely, Jesus' audience, especially Matthew, is saying when the guy begs and pleads for his life, the king's going to say, cut off his head. And Matthew, to his ears and eyes, is, must be astonished to say, I forgive you. Because what it meant was the king assumed that debt. The king took the hit. He took the loss. Not the guy. And then, of course, as the parable goes on, he goes outside and this is why I imagine that the guy imagined that 10,000 talents was actually not that no big deal. That his debt really wasn't much of a deal. But it was 10,000 talents, $3 billion. Because he goes out, finds a guy who owes him, okay, 100 denarii. It's not nothing. It's like 15,000 bucks. It's not nothing. It ain't $3 billion. And he throttles the dude. Pay me back. Oh, have mercy. Please. He pleads with him. Same thing. No way. Throws him in jail. And the servants are bug-eyed. They see this guy do this thing, and they are like, did, we, did, you, did you just see that? Because they heard what happened in the throne room. So they go back and tell the king. And the king blows a gasket. Hauls him in front of him again. So here are, those, are the, those are the two law points in this. A faith that keeps score is not faith. That's a balance sheet. A faith that trusts in the generosity of Christ. That's the faith Jesus is after. Stop keeping score on yourself or on others. That's the law. The second one is how great is our debt? And if we think it's nothing, you're wrong. And if you think it's insurmountable, you're wrong. Jesus knows our debt to the very penny. The last penny and paid it all. I love that song. Pastor Triplett and I go round and round on this. One of my favorites is, uh, his, it's one of his favorite songs. He loves to play it in church. Jesus paid it all. And uh, do you, any of you know the next line? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. So I go to Pastor Triplett. So which is it? Did Jesus pay it all? Or do I owe him a whole bunch? Which is it? And thanks be to God. Every debt canceled. How great is our debt? Completely paid it all. And Jesus knows our debt and has paid it off. 
And so here's, I want to get to the gospel, because that's the challenge. We keep score, and we think our debt is either too great to forgive or too little to matter. Third thing, how great is God's grace? I have 58 crosses in my office. Does that seem rather macabre or depressing? Every one of those crosses is a message and reminder of the overwhelming love of God in Christ. Every time I look at one of those crosses, somebody gave it to me, made it for me. It marks an experience, a baptism, a wedding, building a house in Mexico. It's something. Every one of them is a moment of God's grace. That in that, in that cross, we see what Christ has given. Um, I'm going to read you this little piece here because this is how I think Matthew may have seen this. This is actually, Max Lucado writes it. This is over 40 years old, what he wrote now. And I still, it moves me every time I read it. It's this tale, he talks about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And I think Matthew could relate to this 100%. Because I believe Matthew cannot even begin to imagine the amount of his debt. And as he hears Jesus here, the master forgive the insurmountable debt of that man, I believe that he says, he might do it for me. And he follows. I'm longing for that for each one of us. He might do that for me too. And follow. Because he has already. It's already been done. Already been canceled. There's no bill there. All those bills we are imagining. It's called the tale of the crucified crook. If anyone was ever worthless, this one was. If any man ever deserved dying, this man probably did. If any fellow was ever a loser, this fellow is at the top of the list. Perhaps that's why Jesus chose him to show us what he thinks of the human race. Maybe this criminal had heard the Messiah speak. Maybe he had seen him love the lowly. Maybe he'd watched him dine with the punks and the pickpockets and the pop mouths on the street. Or maybe not. Maybe the only thing he knew about this Messiah was what he now saw. A beaten, slashed, nail-suspended preacher. His face crimson with blood. His bones peeking through torn flesh. His lungs gasping for air. Something, though, told him he had never been in better company. And somehow he realized that even though all he had was a prayer, he had finally met the one to whom he should pray. Here's a loose translation of their conversation. Any chance that you could put in a good word for me? Consider it done. You remember what he said. Father, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now why did Jesus do that? What in the world did he have to gain by promising this crook a place of honor at the banquet table? What in the world could this chiseling quizzling ever offer in return? I mean, the Samaritan woman, you can understand. She could go back and tell the story. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector too. He had a bunch of money he could give. But this guy, what's he going to do? Nothing. And that's the point. Listen closely. Jesus' love does not depend upon what you do for him. Not at all. In the eyes of the king, you have value simply because you are. You don't have to look nice or perform well. Your value is inborn, period. Think about that for just a minute. You are valuable just because you exist, not because of what you do or what you've done, but simply because you are. Remember that. 
Remember that the next time you're left bobbing in the wake of somebody's steamboat ambition. Remember that the next time some trickster tries to hang a bargain basement price tag on your self-worth. The next time someone tries to pass you off as a cheap buy, just think about the way Jesus honors you and smile. I do. I smile because I, don't, I know I don't deserve love like that. None of us do. When we get right down to it, any contribution that any of us make is pretty puny. All of us, even the purest of us, deserve heaven about as much as that criminal did. All of us are signing on Jesus' credit card, not our own. And it also makes me smile to think that there's a grinning ex-convict walking the golden streets of heaven who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians. No one else would have given him a prayer. But in the end, that's all he had. And in the end, that's all it took. Last point. How great is, God, is our opportunity to reflect God's nature? The, the master brings in that guy and he says, what were you thinking? You went down there and a guy owed you 800 denarii. I forgave all that debt of yours. You begged and pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have learned from that? And this is our, now this will sound like law. I don't mean it to. What an opportunity for grace. Look how much we've been forgiven. This is the chance to reflect that. You want to reflect God in your world? Reflect some forgiveness. Reflect some grace. And we show the glory of God because that glory has been given to you, full and free, no strings attached. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.